You're listening to episode 70 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today is a fascinating chat. I chat to Jessica Joelle Alexander, a best-selling author, journalist, and Danish parenting expert, and we chat about the Danish way of parenting. Now, I was really curious to know what we can learn from Danish parents because, after all, Denmark has been voted the happiest country on the planet for 40 consecutive years. Now, I know that you're going to get so much inspiration insight and just absolutely beautiful, meaningful approaches that you can start incorporating in your day-to-day with your children. So I'd love to encourage you to check out the show notes on the chataboutchildren.com website and also remember to share this episode with family, friends and with colleagues who you know will benefit. Let's get this chat started. Enjoy. Jessica Joelle Alexander is best-selling author, journalist, Danish parenting expert, and cultural researcher. Her book is called The Danish Way of Parenting, What the Happiest People in the World Know About Raising Confident, Capable Kids. It's been published in over 28 countries, and her work has been featured in Time, The Wall Street Journal, BBC World News, New York Times, Huffington Post, The Atlantic, and many more. She speaks four languages and lives in Europe with her Danish husband and two children. Jessica, welcome to Chat About Children. Thank you so much for having me. I am super fascinated about the Danish way to parent, and no doubt the listeners are as well, unless they're in Denmark, of course, they've probably got a bit of an idea. But Jessica, tell us a little bit about your life before meeting your Dane husband. And then how did you come to embrace the Danish way of parenting? Okay, so I am American, but I I lived in Europe for quite some time now. And uh, I had moved around in, in a few countries before I met my husband, who's Danish. And all these years ago, I... I could say that um, I wasn't what you would consider a maternal person. Mm-hmm. So um, actually the thought of having children terrified me. Yeah. So it was uh, quite funny when we went to Denmark for the first time. And one of the things I noticed pretty much straight off, straight out off the plane, I, I noticed the children and how well behaved they were and serene and respectful and, uh, I, you know, I never heard any yelling and scream. I mean, it was just, it was bizarre. It was this, you know, very sort of almost utopian, like, um, existence. And, and this was, and I was seeing this every time I went to Denmark and I was just sort of marveling at it. And I said to my husband that if I could get a guarantee that I had one of those types of children, then I was, you know, I was ready. I could, I could handle it. Um, and um, yeah, I, I remember even at our wedding, um, we had Danish children that came over to the U.S. for the wedding. And even my parents were, were remarking like how good they were, you know. Um, and so, you know, I said this half jokingly, but then many years later when I had kids, um, I read like hundreds of parenting books trying to prepare myself. 
And then a strange thing happened was that I started going to my Danish friends and family and husband for advice. And I always preferred their advice to the books I was reading. It just was super, it just made sense. And, and it was really simple. And, and, and then of course I saw the results in their children. So eventually I stopped going to the books and this became my, my sort of religion. Let's say like, this was where I got my, you know, my advice. And, and then years later, I was reading in the newspaper that Denmark had been voted as the happiest country in the world, which I didn't know. And, and, and then I found out that it wasn't just that year, but for 40 years in a row, Denmark is constantly in the top three happiest countries in the world. Now, being American, that was kind of shocking because, yeah. you know, my, my country is obsessed with happiness. We score super low on happiness, and yet <laughs> our bookshelves are covered with it. And I thought, why don't we know more about the reasons for this? And I just had this kind of aha moment where I thought, oh, my God, maybe it's the way they raise their children. Because happy children grow up to be happy adults, and then they raise happy children. And I... And I honestly felt like I had changed so much by following this kind of philosophy, this Danish philosophy as a person and a parent. And I felt happier and I felt my kids were happier for it. So I just had this like, oh my God, I have to write this book. Yeah. Yeah. That was your inspiration. I love that story and the whole journey. And I think while you were speaking, I was, I was wondering to myself, at what point did it click for you that it was more of a cultural thing? Was it straight away that you kind of went, oh, it's Danish children that I'm seeing this in and it's it's definitely culturally influenced? Or did you kind of think, oh, these kids are you know, a bit different, but then it took time to really put the pieces of the puzzle together? How did how did the how did the timeline work for you? You know, honestly, it went along the same continuum as my Danish got better. Yes. So the more I could speak Danish, the more I could hear the language and the language they used. And this is something I talk about a lot in the book because so much of, so much of it is around the language choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the more I understood, and I really could see the culture, the more I understood, wow, this is really a thing. This is really the way they see the world in a different way. So now, obviously, you have a book that talks about this. So how could you, I guess, in in a sentence, describe the Danish way of parenting, if you had to put it into one sentence? I would say in one sentence, can it be a really long run-on sentence? (laughs) Yeah, we'll put commas in there and semicolons. (laughs) With with a little punctuation? (laughs) No. Uh, I would say if I had to put it in a sound by it would be teach respect be respectful and you will be respected oh i love that say that again so it's teach respect be respectful and you will be respected beautiful that's really lovely that is a really lovely way to describe it and that's obviously that was the sentiment you were feeling when you met those danish children is that would you put it under that kind of adjective of respect is that how you would describe it a hundred percent because what I started noticing obviously you know the first the first thing I saw was was just the external behavior just the, the way they were behaving respectfully and and uh and but then now and then I looked at the parents and how how respectful they were of the children so 
So in Denmark, I would say they see children as extremely competent. Yes. And they really listen to them from the time they're babies and try to understand what they're saying. So from a very young age, children feel seen and heard and respected. And the interesting thing that I really noticed, because I had a bit of a challenging um, teenage years, you know, um, and what I really noticed was how respectful the teenagers were. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this really clicked for me because I thought, oh, wow, they're getting so much respect as children. They're giving it back as teens. Yes, yes. And do you feel that that element that you described, which is so important, that acknowledgement and that respect of, of children from the day they're born, uh, where they are acknowledged and listened to and included, and it's it sounds just, the dynamic just sounds healthier, for want of a better word. Do you feel like that's really the foundation that just then naturally develops into those teen years that just continues that principle, that way of operating, I guess, as an individual? Yeah, because they don't have the need to rebel. That's it. Right. So because they're, I mean, for example, you know, this is just the, but, but spanking, for example, is illegal in Denmark and it has been for 20 years and they don't want their children to fear them this is this is this is sort of the, the worst thing they could have they want their they don't ever want their children to fear them they want them to respect them so they don't want them to do something because they're afraid they want them to do it because they've understood it and they've learned to embrace you know embody the rule because they understand it and so what happens is that when they get older as teens because they've been included in the rulemaking because they've been included in a lot of decisions and not just treated like a lesser person or, you know what I'm saying? So that comes back. They're extremely mature at sort of 15, 16, you know, but it's because they've been treated in a a way that, that doesn't foster this kind of, okay, now I need to rebel against this power structure. Yes. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking when I was looking at that dynamic. It's kind of like that, that power imbalance isn't there so much because there is a healthier dynamic. Oh, I really love that. And and it's and I, I really do resonate with a lot of what you're saying as well. I wonder with the Danish way of parenting parenting, has it changed over time? Do you think, Jessica? I actually think one of the reasons why um, it was possible to write it, and it's it's uh, and I think any Dane that has read it, they all say, Oh wow, yeah, I guess we do do that. You know, because it's so much part of their cultural fabric, they don't even realize, you know, it hasn't been published in Denmark because they're like, of course, yeah, what's the big deal, you know? <laughs> so we so we do a lot of free play. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but what's interesting about it is that so Denmark is not a commercialized society. Um, so that's it's not about they, they really try to keep that out. So like new fads, new parenting styles. Um, you know, the Tiger Mom and this way and that way um, where people are earning money. And so they, they really still try to do things for the good of people and they promote things for the good of the people, not for a company to earn money. And I think this is one of the reasons why this way of parenting has lasted so many years because it's just basic, really good for you stuff. It's the you value know? system, isn't it? It's the value system and it's, it's really, and it's not tainted by someone trying to earn money so much, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to parent anyway, 
right? Yes. It's, it's, it's one of the, I say it's the hardest job in the world. I really do believe that. And then when you're bombarded with 8 million different ways to do it and you want to do it the best and you want to, it, it just makes it so hard. Whereas I feel like there, it's, it's really much more about like, of course we do this because it's, it's, we know that we know that free play is really good for kids. Yeah. You know, you know, we know that yoga is really good for families and well-being. Um, it's really, like I said, it's um, in some ways it's super simple, but often it's the most simple recipe that is what we need. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Keep keeping the noise out and the confusion. I would say somewhat, and that really just comes back to what's important people, the relationships, maintaining healthy relationships. And then it kind of goes from there. And that comes from the quality time that comes from, as we talked about, you've mentioned free play a few times and, and there are, you know, countless benefits there in itself. And it does develop, it does allow an individual to develop quite differently in a positive way, of course. And I wonder if that also contributes a little bit to that maturity you were talking about, you know, does that complement some of the, the respect system and values that are imparted at the start? Um, I wonder whether obviously they mesh together in a sense. So how, I mean, with, with social media and internet and all that, that's really surged in, in you know, the last decade or so, how has Denmark still managed to be so happy? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, say that. how are they keeping that noise out? Because that's that's hard, you know. Yeah. How, how are they doing it? They don't keep the noise out in in that sense, and it, and it's an issue in Denmark, just like it's an issue in every you know many other places. I would say, um, again, because it's uh, there's there's let's say the community, like I said, the Danish way of parenting, it, it really is. It's just kind of a philosophy of their culture. So it's sort of people are just doing it without thinking about it. And um, and so even with the way they're tackling uh, social media and all of the issues, uh, you know, that, that come with it, I would say they're, they're, they handle it also more as a community. And this is a huge help. They give yes. a lot of information for parents as a community, which is in line with the schools, which is in line with, you know, the, the parent teacher meetings. And so and they're and again, they're given a lot of respect and power to. To the kids so i've sat in on a lot of schools in denmark and for example social media it's a big discussion they have um you know all the time and they they really they all they put out dilemmas for example and they have the kids solve them together yeah so they're sort of empowered and they're again instilling values like we have to be a good citizen online just like we have to be a good citizen offline um, and a big difference in Denmark is that, um, I mean, God, if I start speaking about the education system, that's a whole other thing. Um, oh, but yes, we'll <laughs> set a date for that one, Jessica. Yes. <laughs> you know, in their education system, I think it's 60-40 or it may even be 50-50. They have something called Danusa and Udanusa. And one is academics and one is being a good citizen, being a good person. So their whole education system, every teacher, they have to schedule their, their teaching plans, which encompasses both. So they find ways in all of their subjects to incorporate, also talking about how we cope with death, uh, talking about sex, talking about social media issues, talking how do we, how would we be empathic? You know, empathy, it's like, it's, it's in their schools from age six to 16. They have an hour a week basically dedicated to fostering how we listen to each other, 
um, you know, how we collaborate rather than only compete. So there's a lot of things I think um, that go into it. It's, it, it be again becomes about empowering children to make wise choices, even when there's no parent. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And teaching them that, that I guess, critical analysis and exploring all of that in a safe way. And that sounds like what that, edu you know, the education system approach is doing. It sounds absolutely amazing. amazing. You know, it, it's it, when I, I mean, I don't live in Denmark right now. I actually live in Italy. And whenever I go there to do my research, I'm just, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know. Um, however, I, I also think there's there's a lot of these things that we can export, right? I don't think you have to live in Denmark for it to be this way. That's obviously why I wrote the book as well, is that there's a lot of these values and a lot of this way of seeing the world that is something we can, we can you know, implement anywhere in the world. And another thing, just to mention the social media, one of the things I like is Danes have this way of reframing things. They, they try to find the positive details in a negative situation. So they try not to demonize technology and social media and and rather find ways that we can you know see it in a in a more positive way and this includes being involved in their kids digital lives yes. um there's been some research that's come out I actually did with lego where um we researched families across i think it was 13 different countries and found that families who play together also digitally are happier than families who don't. So a lot of times our, our, our answer is to just say no, because we're, we're kind of afraid of it. And I'm always saying, just say no, K-N-O-W. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, try to be involved, try to ask questions, try to, um, because this is, this is their world and this is where we're going, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're better off knowing, as you say, knowing, being involved, being somewhat... Um, and as you said before, we want to not have that fear. Oh, I don't want to ask because I'm, so I'm going to try to do this when so-and-so is sleeping or not, you know, all of that stuff. So if, if there's that openness and that trust and that respectful relationship, um, then I imagine that that digital health um, becomes something that is shared and is maintained as safe and it becomes an open discussion as it needs to. And if there are questions or confusion or then there's a safe platform to discuss it rather than any kind of, you'd assume, you know, kind of high risk taking behavior. Is that kind of, you know, a way yeah, to describe I mean, it? You know, actually, this is, that, that's exact. So there's one of the, one of the pillars, let's say is authenticity. And this is talking a lot about how honest they are with kids from really, really young. I mean, I was shocked by some of the things I mean, the books that his family gave us when my, when my kids were really young, I was like, what? Um, we're going to read what? Uh, but, but then as I saw my husband reading some of these books and how interested my daughter was, you know, whether that was in, in like baby making or literally stories that talked about death or, I mean, a lot of topics that in my culture you would never talk about with a small child. But their belief is that if it's part of life, it should be part of education. And totally. so, you know, and, and, and if you don't talk about these things, then you're not prepared and it becomes this awkward conversation. Whereas they're sort of having these honest conversations all from the time they're really little. So that there's, there is this openness and like, it, you can come to us about anything. And this then spills over into the digital world. Um, for example, my daughter just got her first phone and 
um, in real Danish way style. I, try, I tried to like do a sort of a year preparation where we were, we were going over dilemmas and we talked about what is, you know, porn and sexting and, and how she'll handle things if, you know, all kinds of different dilemmas, which of course would be more comfortable not to talk about. Mm. Right. But I don't want these things to have a stigma on them um, because these it's super important that they feel safe coming to us rather than somebody else and getting wrong information. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Now you've, you've talked about, or you mentioned the word huga. Now that's how I say it. Um, Perfectly. <laughs> thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Tell us a little more about what huga is. So huga, I mean, of course, everyone's heard, I mean, many people have heard of huga now, and I think it's often associated with cozy blankets and you know tea and uh, these these sort of um, candles um, these sort of visceral external um, showings of huga but I feel like as as a non-dane who didn't who didn't grow up with huga but has been seeing it for so many years and studying it for so many years I think what it is more in terms of how it relates to happiness is a psychological space so huga is a psychological space that you create together with your family and then also your friends. But like, let's start with your family, because again, as non-Danes, this is, this is actually something we have to work out a little bit um, to make happen. For Danes, it's totally natural. They grow up with this. It's part of their culture. So they just do it naturally. Um, whereas for us, I think it takes a little bit of awareness and um, effort so this psychological space, the way I describe it, is you have to imagine that when you go into this space with your family, you are taking off your negativity, your complaining, um, work stress, bragging, anything that can be subtly divisive. Mm -hmm. um, and when you enter in, the idea is that it's a team effort. Everybody helps out. There's not one person doing all the work. Um, and it's a way to be together in kind of like harmony, uh, where you're just in the moment with the people you love without any sort of barriers up. And the reason why like complaining, negativity, all these things have to be left out is because all of those things create this kind of, it's, it's subtle, but it separates us. Yes. It puts us on guard. It makes us defensive, etc. And so... Some of the things you can do to create this yuga is like, you know, enjoying the food, um, sharing uplifting stories from your past, good memories. That's very connecting. Um, playing games. Danes love to play games. This is a way to be together in the moment, you know, enjoying each other's company connected. Uh, another thing they do is a lot of singing. So, Yay, I do that. Uh, <laughs> oh man group singing that's really huga oh i haven't got to group singing actually i've got to work on that okay sorry that, keep going Jessica. super super huga i mean i remember i used to feel really cheesy when when the, when the group singing would start happening um but then when i sort of allowed myself to get into it uh and there's a lot of research on this it's it's like it it could it, it um what do you say it synchronizes your heartbeat it has all kinds of health benefits group singing 
And um, like I said, maybe we're not ready for that, but there's a lot of other things we can do to create these, these safe, I call it like a psychological safe space. And, and one of the ways like this kind of way I describe it that I feel embodies it is a lot of, a lot of us are into mindfulness these days, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You know, mindfulness being in the moment and being really present, which we know brings benefits. Huga for me is the next step. It's not mindfulness. It's weefulness. Mm, that is such a great way to describe it. Yes. It, it's same. It, I would say it even has more benefits than mindfulness. Yes. And it, and it, even saying weefulness, it's has a it has a, it just beautifully resonates. It's like it's a collective, harmonious experience that's very yeah. heartwarming. That's that's when you describe it. That's how it feels for me. It's exactly how it it does feel, and it's and, and actually the biggest beneficiaries, let's say, of huga time are children. They absolutely love being with their families in drama-free, non-negative moments. Um, I've always been amazed how my kids have reacted when we're having these yoga times. And it's just, it's just good for your soul. Like it's, um, it's just, as you said it, it's, it's kind of heartwarming. And, um, you know, I always tell people, you don't have to do it. This is time limited. You can complain and gossip and do all these other things in, in any other moment. But when you decide to make this dinner or this picnic or this, whatever, a yoga time, for those moments, you leave that out. Yes. Now, just for anyone that's thinking, oh, I want to incorporate, I want to start doing this because it, it's amazing. Um, and, I, and I guess there's, I'd like to know the way that that you do it to start with and, and perhaps people will find their own little ways that suit their dynamics. But um, do you actually announce, okay, like dinner tonight is yoga time and then when we, you know, whatever, finish eating, then back to non right time. Is that how it works? Jerk. No. <laughs> so, um, no okay so actually on my website I have you can download um, it's called the Huga Oath and um, it's um, it's basically uh, it has a lot of the things I just said so you, a lot of the families that I work with and stuff they print this out and they put it on the refrigerator so it's like I agree for this barbecue dinner, blah, 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 to, you know, turn off the phones, um, leave out useless complaining, uh, you know, all these kinds of things. Yes. We also light a candle, right? I mean, if you feel like you want to light a candle, you can light a candle. I'm, I'm from Florida, so we don't have the same need as well to have candles everywhere because it's freezing and gray outside. But <laughs> yeah. it is, it is hoogly. It's true. It's cozy. Um, so this Hugo Oath is just kind of a reminder of, of these things we talked about. And um, the way we do it, so in my family, because I have a Dane as a husband, it's, it's much more, like, it's much easier. We don't have to do that. We kind of know, um, for us, actually, Hugo time is very much breakfast time mm-hmm. because we get up a little bit earlier so we can have a quiet kind of moment together. Um, but in my American family, that's where we need a little more awareness because we have a lot of bad habits right in in our culture it's it's you know and and every family has their own habits about what they complain about or who they talk bad about or who they fight with or for example talking politics is not (laughs) huga yep 
Mm-hmm. Is, that on the, is that on the poster, Jessica? <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be a little bit bigger and bold. It is on the poster. It is. It oh, is good. On, the, on, the, on the sheet, but it, it's really more than ever now. Um, yeah. But so um, I, I think it, the first time we did it, the first time we tried to have like a few good moments with my American family, it was super awkward because it, we weren't used to not, yeah, whatever. My dad loves to complain about my cousins or, you know, whatever. We always go into, or we, we talk politics. So for a little, in the beginning, it was a little awkward. So it was like a little quiet. Um, but, but the next time we did it, it was better. And the next time we did it, it was even better. And then it was like, we craved it. Because we, we were like, oh, it's so nice just to be together with the kids and, you know, have a walk on the beach or eat a meal without any negativity, you know, or play a game together. Or, and it was, it was so lovely. And, and, uh, and then it's just become a habit for us now. So, again, we don't do, we don't do it all the time. There's lots of other times that we, we are very unhuggeting and we have, you know, non-hugga moments. But we also specifically dedicate these these times and and a lot of the families I speak to that aren't Danish that have started to make this effort to create this space um, are so happy about it. Oh, absolutely. Can you share any stories of a parent that's decided to give it a go? And I, I know heaps of parents have after reading your book, but have you got an example that you can share with us? Hmm, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that. Um, yeah, okay. I know one of the moms um, who told me that. So she's got the Hugo Oath on her refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And um, she's actually a single mom. Um, but they tried, you know, she's got a she's got a son on the cusp of teen years and all this stuff. So she she's made like game night, you know, a thing. And she's found that this was a way or like playing cards or playing games. And she's made it a bit of a tradition or something that she does with her son. And um which was difficult before because you didn't have these kind of ways to connect. And she really makes this effort to, you know, even like light a candle and, and make it really fun. And, and she's found this way to connect with her son, you know, where it's not about well, how are you doing in school? What are your grades? What are your, all that's out because the way Hugo is, is the way I see it a little bit. It's like an oasis from, it doesn't matter if you're doing awesome at work and it doesn't matter if you've been fired from work. In the Huga mm. space, you are loved for who you are, not for what you do. Yeah, oh gosh, we need that as a world, don't we? Um, we need to be reminded and just experience that. And then when you described it as that, I guess, that psychological space or safe space, I'll call it that for want of a, a better way to describe it. But it is about that because once it, it just, it takes away those barriers, doesn't it? Because a person, the minute they feel they're in the company of people or person, who is not judging them and who is accepting them for who they are as they are. Oh my gosh. It's just a whole other level of connection. That is the key. And I think that's also a big part of like this, the philosophy in general is it's, um, it's about not judging and, 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 and yes, particularly Hugo is a, is this space where I'm not, I don't care what's going on in your life outside. I just want to be with you. Yes. Um, and, um, and you know what, it took me years to understand it because I would come to my Danish families, we would have these gatherings, these dinners, and like there, as soon as there's a candle on the table and the food comes out, you kind of know it's happening, right? Yeah. And I always wondered, like, nobody would ask about what people were doing, right? 
Whereas in my family, it's like, so how's work? And uh, what's going on there? And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. how did you do on that test? And did you, oh, well, what are you going to, so, which is, which is great. I mean, I also like that a lot, but I, I always wondered, I was like, why doesn't anybody talk about like that kind of stuff? And, but then I started noticing that maybe another family member would be going through something really, really difficult. And also they didn't ask about that either. Mm. So I started understanding that this was the, this was the place that you could go at any time in your life and feel loved and okay. And again, this is so nice for kids. Absolutely. And, it, and what I love is that it takes away that strong association that very commonly exists of self-worth being tied in with all those achievements yes. and all that stuff. It strips it away. I love it. Love it. So... While I'm just, you know, still in my heartwarming space here that I'm feeling, um, Jessica, there's a concept that I read an article that you wrote about, and it's called, I'm going to try it, give it a go, put, okay. put, poot, poot, poot. poot. Yep. almost remembered, poot. Tell us about poot. What is it? How you came across it? And why do you feel it's important? And you may have kind of touched on some of the strands here, but share it with us a little. I mean, poot is a funny one because it's just, it's... Yeah, how do you describe poop? It's a little bit like saying it, it does never mind. Okay. And where I actually first really came across it was I was doing some years where I was researching in the schools and I started noticing on the walls in the classrooms there would be like a red button. And I was like, what is that? And they were like, Oh, that's the poop button. And I said, What the heck is that? And they were like, Well, when if something has happened and they have or they have like a little argument or it's something that's not, you know, heavy. Right. They're like, just go over and poop, poop it. In. Like, <laughs> let it go. Right. And so sometimes they would go up and they'll hit the button to, to like release something. Or if they're out playing a, a game, a soccer game, and, and the boys start fighting over something, uh, which is essentially quite silly and they're kind of holding on to it. They're like, come over here. Come on, poop it. In. And like something about hitting that button, you know, it's a it's release. Like, it's a release. And, and I've also seen in this class, this, it's, I call it an empathy class. It's not, it's this hour a week they have where they dedicate, as I was saying, to going over like any issues they have. But the main goal is that, that people feel heard, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's just like, did you actually hear that person without judging them, right? Yeah. And, um, and so one of the things they do, I remember was that they, um, they would write down some of the things like they were, I'm, I'm upset because she called me, you know, or I felt like she didn't play with me or whatever. And they will have talked about it and they'll say, okay, write it down. And they crumple it up and then they, they put it in the poop bucket, mm-hmm. you know, to let it go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just a way of saying like, you know, sometimes it's good to let things go. Right. Yes. Um, and, 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 Oh, of course, this is not for big issues, but for a lot of the small issues that sometimes we hold on to, like I said, like, you know, being angry at a soccer game or something of these things. Sometimes there's something about that action, about putting it in and letting it, just hitting it and getting it away um, is very freeing. It's hugely liberating, actually. And I think, you know, people probably do that in different ways when they're, well, sometimes they do and sometimes people don't know how to let go. You know, I'm sure you've come across that. Like, there's oh, yeah. no, how do I do it? And there's no poop button big enough. <laughs> exactly. And so I think that's really what's really cool is that it is actually um, 
it adds to the awareness, as you touched on earlier, but it brings it to the forefront. So even if it's on paper or if you are pressing the button, it's like you are, you've just got that physical uh, yeah. release. It's in the 3D. It feels really real, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. And it's an action that is so cool because yeah. like, there's all other techniques I've come across um, and uh, and practice, etc. But certainly for kids and even adults, but for kids particularly, it's so, such a powerfully liberating way to manage things and to yeah. come back to regulate and to reprioritize or understand prior priorities. What is really important? What's not? What's worth? What's worth it, you know, yeah, all of that stuff you've talked about. So I just, yeah, I, I love that. So do they use that? Is there a certain years that they kind of start or int to introduce that? Do any homes have a poot button? That would be cool. Um, I think they do, actually. And, and I've been considering buying one myself. Um, and, I mean, my Danish family didn't have one, but I do think some families have them. But it's also just like an expression. It's like, poot come yeah. on, just come on, you know, let's, come on, let's go, let's, you know, let it go. And um, and I do think actually they definitely focus a lot more on being aware of feelings and stuff you have in your body and how you express different emotions and where you feel them and how, how to be aware of them because they're, they're big into like, uh, yeah, big into emotional literacy, let's oh, say. Amazing. I always say that in, in Denmark, uh, it's almost like learning to learning to read you know in every country learning to read is really important in denmark learning to read is important but it's i would say it's actually more important that they learn to read emotions first yep absolutely. so they spend a lot of time from the time they're very little teaching how to read emotions how to feel emotions how to understand because they feel this is the best way you can learn to self-regulate yeah so yeah. you can feel it and let it go yeah, absolutely. So a bit of a cheeky question. Is the poot button one of the secret weapons for Denmark being one of the happiest or the happiest no, country? Is, is the poot button no. not, not the only, but is it a contributing help? Uh, no, I think I think the poot button was just funny. It was people were writing about it and um and it is a, it is one of those funny things. I mean, I don't know if you've heard <laughs> Denmark has a lot of funny things that come out of it that are just just you have to laugh sometimes because yeah, they have, there's a, there's a lot of sides. Um, I don't know if you heard about this recent children's show that they had, but um, no, poop, poop button is definitely not. I would say it's very much um, this thing we talked about before, which is they very much dis distinguish between self worth. So like building a child's self-esteem based on who they are, rather than what they do. Yes, yes. And, and this, if, if you've ever met a Dane, you will find, I think generally Danes, when you meet them, they appear to be very sort of, uh, confident is not necessarily the right word, very comfortable in their skin. And there's, a, there's, a, there's actually an expression, which is, and it means to rest well within yourself. Yeah. So this is like a highly coveted characteristic, and this is how they try... They try to make sure that you can rest well within yourself and you don't need external validation to believe that you're a good enough person. 100%. And, and what came to my mind when you were speaking was um, peaceful. When you come yes. across someone and you can actually feel the presence of someone who's at peace 
with themselves. Yes, not needing to prove something. Yeah, yeah. Because because anyway, they they believe that great if you prove something, great if you don't. What's important is that you're a good person and that you feel good, no matter what. Um, in in the sense, not and I don't mean happy because they are also very big into like feeling sad. I would say the irony about it is that if you ask a Dane, they're the happiest country. They're like, really? They, they don't, they don't get it. Um, because, you know, Danish films, Danish fairy tales, all these things, they're super dark. <laughs> yep. um, and I think it's because their, 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 their willingness to embrace reality in its warts and all actually helps them to be more stable and, and like sort of happy in a sort of well-being kind of way, right? Because they don't get shocked by life's warts and and difficult cat, you know, because they're kind of preparing for it and not hiding from it. Um, so um, yeah, I think. Uh, but that that um, I was just going to say one of the ways they describe this self-esteem thing is they describe it with a tree, and they they say the roots are the, the in, you know, it's the self-esteem. So it's how, it's the internal things that people don't see. It's how I feel about who I am. Am I a good person? Am I a nice person? How do I feel about myself despite what I can do? Whereas the tree, the leaves on the tree, the foliage are all of the things that other people see. Your grades, your accolades, your accomplishments, your popularity. And many people think that if a tree has this wonderful, huge foliage, they must be so happy. But if they have undernourished roots, you know what happens when the storm comes. Totally. And that is such a, a beautiful way to present it. And again, for kids to understand it, even the way you've described it. Uh, I, could, I could picture that as you were speaking. Um, I love that. Where Have you got that anywhere, Jessica? I have it in, a, in another book I've written, which is still yet to come out in English. But um, yeah, I've written quite a lot about that. And um, I have to think about where it's accessible in English right now. Um, or maybe there's an article. Well, it's leading into my next question, kind of, because I'm wondering what's next on the cards for you and how can we, how can we access? Obviously, we, we know the book. Uh, we know how to access that. That's accessible. Mm -hmm. But you've also got other wonderful resources and, and you do write great articles as well. Can you tell us a little more about what is coming up for you and where we can access those resources that are amazing? Sure. I mean, my, my website, Jessica Joel Alexander, has quite a lot of my articles and um, some information about some of the other books. And then I'm, I'm actually building some online courses right now. Um, and I do a lot of conferences for various um, places. But I'm, yes, I'm considering my next book, which uh, we'll see. I think it will be probably another year, but um it's always around these same topics because this is just kind of my life's, you know, it's just something that I burn for and I'm very passionate about. And I think it's just, you know, it's, it's good. It's good. We need it. It's a world healer. It's, it's important. It's all these yeah. just simple values, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is healing. I know it sounded very, you know, but it is a world healer. It's just those basic principles and coming back to, to you and that nod judgmental and, and just being at peace with who you are. And if, and if you're working on that, even at an individual level, it just has a flow on effect, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, and people, and it's, 
I think we need it so more now than ever because the world's in a very particular moment. And actually, I'm also seeing this as a great opportunity when we come out of this pandemic. I know you have it a little bit easier in Sydney right now, but <laughs> it's pretty crazy over here. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and but I'm trying to see it also as an opportunity to you know embrace more of these values like Huga and um, maybe rethinking education so we can focus more on on raising kids who feel good about who they are, not just for what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that affects us all. I mean, I think we can all as adults relate to that feeling and, and how nice it would be if we didn't necessarily need that validation to feel loved or lovable. Yeah. That is a beautiful take home message. Can I just say, Jessica, I feel like you've shared the take home message right there, but did you want to add something else? Um, um, check out the book. <laughs> no, yes. um, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would say this, I would come back to what we said before, which is the, the main concept. And I believe in it a lot, which is teach respect, be respectful, and you will be respected. And then I would also say, if you want to check out this Huga Oath on jessicajoelalexander.com, print it out, super easy, just a piece of paper. Um, remember, it's not mindfulness. It's weevilness. And I do think it's it's almost the evolution of where I think we, we, we can be going as a, as a collective. Absolutely. Jessica, that is so beautiful. And I would like to say a massive thank you on behalf of all the people who are, have, are going to listen to this and are listening to this episode, because I know it is going to stimulate positive change and empower some really beautiful dynamics in so many families across the world. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining the chat about children. Thank you. It was definitely a pleasure. Such a beautifully inspiring chat there with Jessica Joelle Alexander. Remember to check out her details at her website and also on the show notes on chataboutchildren.com. And I would love for you to also leave a rating and a review from your favorite podcast player. I am so grateful for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich. www.chataboutchildren.com. 